From struggle to stardom to addiction to darkness to redemption, Brian Head Welch has been through it all and come out the other side. Join Brian on August 25th at the legendary Nashville Palace for the Nashville Rockin' Pod Expo 2 for a revealing discussion on stage about his life and upcoming documentary, Loud Crazy Love. Brian will also be signing autographs and taking pictures with fans and recording with many of the podcasts on site. Admission starts at $10. This event will likely sell out. Get your tickets now at www.rockandpod.eventbrite.com. So yes, check out Nashville Rock and Pod Expo 2 for this revealing on-stage discussion hosted by, yes, myself, Joshua Toomey of the Talk To Me podcast, on stage for an hour with Brian Head Welch of Corn talking about his upcoming documentary and so much more. So make sure and check all of your favorite podcasts out at Nashville Rock and Pod Expo in Nashville, Tennessee, August 25th. Tickets at rockinpod.eventbrite.com. Links will be in the show notes. Let's do the show. This is Talk To Me. The official podcast of MetalNexus.net. Your host, Joshua Toomey, bring you epic rants, anecdotes, and interviews with heavy hitters from hardcore to hair metal. This is Talk To Me. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Talk To Me. This is episode 155 of the podcast, and this is the official podcast of MetalNexus.net. Make sure to head over to Metal Nexus for all your news, reviews, interviews, and the archives of the Talk To Me podcast. Great guest this week, Nick Teeter of Frontiers Records. And you guys know Frontiers as the home of Striper, Dokken, Stephen Piercy of Rats, but Nick also has a history with Roadrunner Records. We play some tunes. We break down the music industry like no one's ever done before. And I think you guys will love this. If you guys are in a band, if you guys want to know the ins and outs of the music business, you definitely need to check out this interview and check out some tunes from uh, from the Frontiers music catalog. It's going to be a lot of fun. And speaking of fun, I was just a guest on a podcast called That Awful Sound. Make sure to check those guys out. Make sure to check out my episode of all the other podcasts I've done. That was probably one of my top five favorite episodes I've ever done. Uh, We talked a little bit about my time in Primer 55. We talked a lot about Kiss's Lick It Up. Uh, They they break down a song a week, uh, you know, kind of make fun of it, but also talk about how much you love it. And uh, I chose Kiss's Lick It Up. We talk about the video, which is video gold. And uh, yeah, make sure to check out that awful sound over there and let them know that uh, I sent you over there because they're great guys. So happy they had me on. And uh, make sure to subscribe, rate, review, and all that stuff for those guys too. Speaking of Kiss's Lick It Up, let's do a nice rock and pod announcement. Uh, It says, due to circumstances beyond our control, Vinnie Vincent will not be appearing at the Nashville Rock and Pod Expo. Purchasers of the Vinnie Vincent Eventbrite pre-sales will be contacted about refunds. We apologize for this inconvenience. And if you have any questions, they can be directed directly to rockinpod at gmail.com, and they will not be answered on the Facebook group. This is a huge mistake on Vinnie Vincent's part. He's shown over the past 20-whatever years nothing but immaturity and everything you've ever heard about the guy. He's a flake. 
He's 100% a flake. I was excited for Chris and Aaron, for those guys to have Vinny Vincent at their expo. You know, this whole expo is put on by the guys at Decibel Geek. The one podcast that consistently praised him over the years, even when the guests weren't so excited to talk about their former boss, Vinny Vincent. If you've listened to the past seven years of the Decibel Geek podcast, you have heard countless people on there talking about how much of a flake Vinny Vincent is. His reemergence last year was cool. It was cool for those guys. I was more rooting for the Decibel Geek guys in this whole thing than the Expo, than whatnot. That that Chris Sinzak, the one guy that's been flying the flag of Vinny Vincent for seven years straight, trying to find out where he is, trying to get his whole story, keeping him relevant. Chris Sinzak, Aaron Camaro, Decibel Geek Podcast, kept Vinny Vincent relevant. And for him to pull out the way he has on this expo is absolutely mind-boggling. There's no excuse for him not to do this. He lives in Nashville. It's not far from his house. He doesn't have to fly anywhere. People were paying a separate admission to meet him. There were thousands of dollars already tied up in meet and greets with Vinnie Vincent. He's an absolute joke. This is a travesty. This is probably the worst move he could do. Because you know what is going to be at the Rock and Pod Expos? Yes, dozens upon dozens of rock and roll podcasts. And you know what they're all going to do? They're all going to tell you the same thing I'm telling you now. Vinnie Vincent is a flake. We knew this going in. It's not surprising to anyone that he's done this. I think, you know, the ticket sales, you know, I thought when we announced Vinnie Vincent, there would be a huge surge in ticket sales. And there wasn't. Don't get me wrong. There was not a huge surge in ticket sales. I think there was Vinnie Vincent fatigue at this point. He's done all the autograph signings. He did the Kiss Expo. I think at this point, you know, I uh, we got we jumped on the on the thing a little too late to get Vinnie Vincent. Everyone that wanted to see him's already seen him. Everyone that maybe wanted to see him again might have came out. But for the most part, people aren't as as shocked and surprised that Vinnie Vincent is going to be anywhere. Now, what I think is funny about this whole Vinnie Vincent thing is he has a new pedal out, a new distortion pedal out. And he continues to talk about this distortion pedal on his Facebook. But you know what's missing from his Facebook? Any kind of demonstration videos. He's yet to play guitar in front of anybody. He's played an acoustic guitar poorly in front of everybody. He picked it up like he'd never touched a guitar before in his life. And if I was hawking a distortion pedal and I was Vinnie Vincent, I could shred. I'd be all over that thing. I'd be all over YouTube. I'd be all over Facebook Live. I'd be all over Instagram and Twitter with all these playthrough videos. But all he puts out is is these terrible, like, man, I'm shredding on my new pedal today. Prove it, Vinny Vincent. Prove you can still play. And prove you're not a piece of shit. Because as you've shown through all this, you are a piece of shit. Now, that being said... As you know, you heard at the top of the episode, you've still got a lot of great people coming to the Rock and Pot Expo. 
I think the biggest name of the whole expo is Brian Head Welch of Corn, a band that's consistently put out great albums. It's not like Brian was the guitar player on two albums in the 80s. No, Brian was the, you know, on all of the classic stuff and has come back and, you know, in the, in the words of Vinnie Vincent, he saved Corn. I don't get it. I just don't get why Vinnie Vincent would do something like this. It's all about money. And he had money there. From what I saw, if all I had to do was drive across town, sign some autographs, sign a guitar here and there, take a couple of photos, he was being well compensated for this whole thing. It's beyond me. It, it is absolutely beyond me that he would pull out. But just announced Mitch Malloy is going to be at the, at the uh, Rock and Pot Expo 2, August 25th, Nashville, Tennessee, at the Nashville Palace. You can still win the Kistery guitar, as they're calling it, that has uh, autographs from, and this is a lot of people, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of cherry pick here. Ace Freely, Bruce Kulick, Bob Kulick, Eric Singer, Lydia Chris, Bobby Rock, Robert Fleischman, uh, Brett Fitz, Todd Kearns, Big John Hart, Mark Slaughter, Anton Fig. So many people. $10 donation or $10 over at rockinpod.eventbrite.com will get you in on this guitar. You do not have to be present to win the guitar, and there's only 300 entries on this guitar. So get in, get as many as you can, and uh, if you are not in town at the Nashville Rock and Pod Expo, it will be shipped to you. Yeah, so many great guests, so many great podcasts. If you're into podcasts, I will be there. Talk to me podcast. Roach Coach Podcast just announced that they're going to be there. Discography discussion will be there. Decibel Geek's obviously going to be there. Cobras and Fire, Rock and Metal Combat. So many great podcasts are going to be there. If you love this form of entertainment, come drop 10 bucks. Say hello. Do what people did last year. They were showing me on their phones that they're subscribed to the podcast. That meant the world to me. I could have autographed their phone. <laughs> I will have some t-shirts for sale. So much good stuff. And our good friend Scott Bowling from Good Company with Bowling will be there. Make sure you're checking out his show on YouTube. It is high quality beyond. It is pro production. The new episodes are going to be done by the same people that do DDP yoga stuff. Like it's absolutely insane. The production crew that Scott puts into this to have all of these great artists come onto his show. Scott is a true music fan. If you've seen any of his videos, any of his pictures of his house, anything, he is a 100% genuine music fan. And if you're into Seven Dust, he's had Clint Lowry on. He's had LeJean Witherspoon on. If you're into the Stuck Mojo guys, he's had Bones. And he's had Corey Lowry on. Uh, upcoming episodes with Rich Ward of Fozzie and Stuck Mojo. Eddie Trunk's going to be on over the summer. Looks like he just finished up his Sunny from POD episode, which is going to be fantastic. The guys in Islander have been on. Eric Rogers of Stereo Mud, he's been on. A lot of the, If you like a lot of the guests I've had, a lot of the guests have been on Scott Bowling's show live and in person. You can see them, see their handsome faces. Brian Head Welch of Corn. That, that video has like over 100,000 views. It's amazing. It's insane. So yeah, make sure to check out Scott Bowling. Good company with bowling. Make sure you let him know that I sent you. If you see Vinnie Vincent out, make sure to tell him to fuck off. 
And with that, I say we get into the show. <laughs> uh, Robert, let's get into uh, Rob Rivera's pick from the kit, and then we'll get into my talk with Nick Teeter from Frontiers Records. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Rivera from the Man Point. This is my talk to you weekly pick from the kit. Uh, before I get to that, uh, the Keys and Queen store with Man Point, Butcher Babies, Islander, and Sumo Cycle are still rolling. And Texas tonight, Corpus Christi, tomorrow night in Lubbock, Texas. Uh, check the nowpoint.com for all uh, ticket information and nowpointstore.com for all VIP. Um, uh, shows are selling very well. Of course, we're amazing. I only have like three weeks left. So get out there. All uh, the tickets uh, all are gone. Um, I picked this week is from Striper. Uh, the song is To Hell with the Devil. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure how many people know, but. Uh, whoever's seen that one live has always seen me play sideways. If you have seen Striper back in the day, in the 80s, uh, Robert Sweet used to play sideways, and basically I tripped him off. I just took uh, his style of setting up the kit and decided to do that to myself. It's been kind of like a staple uh, for me, and it's also been a curse, because every time I do it, I get asked why, and when I play forward, I get asked why I don't play sideways. But it's been a curse my entire career. Anyway, there's a striper with to hell with the devil. Enjoy.
right, Nick Teeter, welcome to the podcast. How you doing tonight, man? Good. How are you, man? Oh, uh, you know, living the dream, getting to talk to you, getting to talk music, and uh, and and as we just talked for the last uh, ten minutes, talk some sports with you. But uh, it's good to have you on the show, man. It's uh, great to be here. I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Um, so your position at Frontiers is is GM of Frontiers, and what does that necessarily entail? Well, it, it entails wearing multiple hats. I can tell you that much. So I've got uh, I've got a little bit of a marketer in me. I've got a little bit of a publicist in me. I've got a little bit of a social media guru in me. I I I, I don't do too much radio. I leave that to more capable hands. But you know, I do interact with uh, with folks at at stations or who are involved with radio promo. Uh, but basically, it's, it's sales. Certainly, it's it's oversight of really the entire operation in North America. Okay. So I'm kind of the, the, the there's obviously the company is, is run out of Naples, Italy, where the, where the owner is. Uh, then he's got his right-hand guy there who's overseeing business affairs and all that stuff. And we have a guy in uh, London who oversees the UK and other parts of Europe in tandem with them. And then I'm here in Nashville where I'm the, you know, I'm dealing with our North American distributor who's, who's in New York and has offices in LA and, and, and San Francisco and other cities, other major cities. Uh, so I, I'm overseeing the publicist, the radio promotions people, our distributor, anybody who really comes under our sphere and is doing work with us. And it being a, a global world nowadays, you know, I'm also dealing with a lot of our artists who are based in Europe and their managers and all that stuff. I'm not just, hey, I'm here in the U.S. minding my own business. You know, you, you kind of got to be involved in everything that's going on because left hand has to know what the right hand's doing. Absolutely. And how did you get involved in the music business, you know, uh, growing up? And, uh, you know, were you a musician growing up? Is this uh, just being passionate about music? I don't have a stitch of musical talent, not, not, a, not a single iota. So, uh, music was something very early on I discovered I had a, a passion for. I always liked it when my mom was playing rock and roll, like the Beatles, Hendrix, Bob Dylan, Rod Stewart, that kind of stuff. I loved it when she had her, her cassettes, you know, going. And uh, around sixth grade, specifically sixth grade, I really started uh, discovering my own taste. Mm -hmm. And... She actually took me to the mall and we went to a record store because I wanted, there was a tape I wanted and it was Girls, Girls, Girls by Motley Crue. <laughs> nice. And that was a good choice, right? Yeah, yeah, good one. And, and uh, that was kind of the beginning for me, really. I mean, I already had the interest in music, but that was the first time my personal music collection started. And it was all you know, quote unquote, downhill from there. And then it was <laughs> Master of Puppets by Metallica, So Far So Good, So What by Megadeth. It just kind of started steamrolling from there. And, um, I was born in 75, so this is around uh, 86 when I started this. And back then, you know, it was, if you, you couldn't like the uh, 80s hard rock bands like, like Motley and, and Poison and Warren and all those guys, and like Metallica, Megadeth, Testament, it was like, oh, you're a poser, man. You can't like both of those. 
but I did, and I had a lot of friends who liked all that stuff too. And it's funny because a lot of a lot of the guys I knew in high school were like, "Oh, it's got to be thrash only, or you know, got to be you know, you know, Motley Crue only." And now it's like kind of funny. Now they're all like, "Oh yeah, that music was great." Everybody, it's okay to like everything now, but right, right. you know, back then, back then it was totally taboo. But I didn't care. You know, I thought it was all awesome. It, it didn't didn't matter to me. I wanted to listen to anthrax and uh you know uh, poison at the same time i thought they were both putting out great albums and um and then from there it, it that was it you know i was in sixth grade on i was i was collecting you know switching going from cassettes then on to cds uh eventually digital files now vinyl all that stuff but uh after i graduated college and needed to find a job, needed to enter the real world. And I thought, what, what is it I want to do with my life where I'll be happy? And all my friends were buying suits and going for interviews at accounting jobs. And I, I knew I didn't, didn't want to and probably want to be a very good accountant. So I thought, you know, I got to do something with my life. And the one thing I really, really super passionate about is, is music. So I can't be a musician. Let me see if I can go help musicians mm -hmm. help them you know with their careers and uh I, I moved up to new york uh my father had hooked me up with uh a woman uh who was the daughter of one of his clients at his law firm he was an attorney and she happened to be warren haynes from almond brothers and government mules uh wife and also his his manager and she had been A and R uh, at Island Records, and you know, had been in the industry and had had a wealth of experience. And she said, "Go buy a Polestar book." Back when, before Polestar was a website, and you, and you could <laughs> actually buy a physical book. Yep. She said, "Go through and apply for an internship at every single record company in New York, and take whatever you get." And that's what I did. And I got an internship at Roadrunner Records, and I got an internship at a company called. Um, Thirsty Year Records, which was a smaller company run by a guy who had been a marketing executive at Columbia Records. Okay. And that's how I started. And by default, I wound up being an intern in the publicity department at one place and an intern at the radio department at another. And I was learning both of those things. And that's how I got started. Stuffing envelopes, buying coffee, calling college radio stations, cutting out uh press clippings from newspapers and pasting them in a scrapbook, all that stuff, you know, it started from the ground up. What, uh, what years were you at Roadrunner? So this would have been 98-ish, early 98-ish. This was, uh, I remember they had just put out the first album without Max Cavalera in, oh, nice. um, in, in Sepultura uh, and, the, and the first Soulfly album. Um, there was, I think they had just signed Earth Crisis, if memory serves. Yeah, that sounds about um, right, they're, they're for the Slither album. Yep, that's right. And uh, they were just putting out um, the Both Worlds album, with uh, which was John Joseph from cro new mm -hmm. band. And, boy, this is really jogging my memory, thanks. <laughs> uh, uh, they had uh, the first Cold Chamber album had just come out, I'm pretty sure. Life of Agony was on their third album. Yeah. I mean, listen. Oh, yeah. I got, I mean, I specifically wanted an internship at Roadrunner because from the outside, 
that I mean, obituary, machine head, fear factory, sepultura, deicide. I loved all of those bands. I, I like the dream was let's go get a job at Roadrunner. You know, that seemed like the place to me as a as a total metalhead. I really, really wanted to be at 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 Roadrunner, and it was cool that I got the internship there. And they, I remember, um, I was up doing calls. Uh, in their alternative department because they had a Japanese ska band called Kamuri that okay. uh, I had calling cause stations about. So it was a really fun time to be there because I mean, Roadrunner was and still is a really, uh, really great uh, record label. But uh, for someone of, of, of my age and, and what, how I grew up, you know, buying all those old obituary cassettes and deicide and typo <laughs> negative and all that stuff, you know, they were still in there like, uh, you know, prime yeah, era, yeah. I think you could say. Yeah, that's, you know, spine shank and all that stuff going on at that time. The, um, you know, that's actually funny. You do you bring up the Roadrunner and all the bands that you talked about because basically you just named off the guest list for every episode of this podcast, you know, with, with you know, <laughs> you know, uh, Glenn Benton's been on, um, you know, uh, Trevor Pier- uh, Perez from Obituary's been on, you know, like every, yeah. all those dudes have been on and I always tell them that, I'm I'm just a couple of years younger younger than you. I was born in '79, so there was yeah. a um, a time in my life where you would go to the store and if the album had that Roadrunner label on it, no matter what it was, you bought it because you knew Roadrunner was going to sign awesome stuff. And you know, if if it was a cool album cover had Roadrunner, you know, the logo on it, you know, it was coming home with me no matter what it was. And nine times out of ten, it was an, an amazing album. Yeah, a hundred percent. It was Roadrunner. It was Earache too. Had the same thing going on. Yeah, uh, and uh, also Metal Blade, of course. Yeah, and the funny thing is, uh, I think Metal Blade still got that going on. Actually, I believe it, yeah. you, you know, and and Earache has uh, obviously what they sign has changed over the years, but I still think they're putting out. You know, they're still synonymous with with quality music, and, and uh, you know that that's a really cool thing to see you know relapse uh it was a, a label i discovered a little later in life century media mm-hmm. uh too uh but like when i relapsed i still think is you know whatever it is i'm going to check it out i think they put out so many good albums uh it's it's funny because i worked with frontiers which obviously doesn't do much of the extreme metal stuff but man i'm i'm i got bit by that death metal bug in high school and uh, it's just stuck with me. I, I love all that extreme metal stuff. Um, nuclear blast, all the stuff nuclear blast does. I mean, you know, there's just so much great music to choose from out there. I, I don't believe in, in, uh, genres, you know, I just, I like good music. I don't care what it is. It's just gotta be good. Well, absolutely, man. Well, uh, speaking of good music, let's take a break real quick and play something off of frontiers. Uh, what would you like to play first? Uh, Tower of Lies, I Walk Alone by Animal Drive, a new group we have on the label who's just it, it's like, it, it's like ha- hard, heavy metal mixed with a little elements of Dream Theater, really cool band, fantastic vocalist, uh, Dino Jaluzic, uh really would love for people to hear them.
back with Nick Teeter from Frontiers Music, and we're talking some good music here. And the the one thing I wanted to know was, you know, how do, how does a label work in 2018? You know, there's uh, they always talk about records aren't really selling anymore. So I mean, how does how does a how does a record label uh, I guess turn a profit these days? Well, you know, records aren't selling what they used to, mm-hmm. but they're still selling. But you definitely if your entire business model is predicated on selling CDs, then you're going to be in trouble eventually. If not today or tomorrow, like down the road, <laughs> right. you, you might be in trouble. Although I will say, I don't think the CDs and the vinyl, I don't, and I could be wrong, but I don't think that stuff's going away anytime soon. I think you'll see downloads go away before you see physical product go right. away. Yeah, I um, can see that. Yeah, because just my main thing as somebody who's involved in marketing is I try to be a consumer and a fan first mm-hmm. and then a marketer second because you, as somebody who's in marketing, you have to live through the experiences you're, you're trying to ask fans to go through so i have to think about uh, what i would want to see as a fan of a band like what what would i want if i'm you know i'm a big striper fan so when i'm working on a new striper record i don't think about it as hmm what's the best way to capitalize on this i think what would i want as a fan what would i want to see what would motivate me to listen to a song watch a video buy a bundle package, all these various things. That's the kind of mindset you have to get into. But really addressing your question is, everybody now has to be looking towards the future. And the future is streaming. Whether anyone likes it or not, that's the world we're headed towards. If we're not even really already there, to be honest. So, but when you're dealing with hard rock and metal, you're dealing with a very loyal fan base. Uh, a fan base that is ingrained. They're not going to shift and go away on you. If anything, we're, we're hopefully going to keep adding young people to it who get into the, get into the vibe of what it's all about. So you're sitting there saying, the idea is not to just say, we've got to get people to buy something. The first step is you have to let people hear something when they are being bombarded with so much media choices, it's not even just the overload of music they're presented with, but all the TV shows they can watch on a streaming service, the movies, you know, everything. It's just nonstop. So the battle is really to get people just to listen. And then it's up to them what they want to do after that. If they want to become invested as a fan, Mm. then that's, that's their decision. We can't control that. So my whole goal is, I just want to try to get people to listen to a song, watch a video, whatever it may be, to get acquainted with the band. And then if they decide, like, okay, I want to become a fan, I'm invested in this, then you figure out how to super serve them once they're once they're there. You know? What is it you want now? Do you want to hear the full full length album? Here it is on a streaming service. Or you can download it, or you can buy a CD, or you can buy a record if you want. Or hopefully you start buying tickets and t-shirts and all that stuff and, and going to the show you know a lot of labels when you're signing new bands and we do this with our developing artists is you say all right we're going to start investing marketing dollars in you but and we're going to help you get out on the road 
but we're also going to share in the profits from that mm-hmm. because that's going to be our investment is is keeping you out on the road and building you up so you're getting in front of more and more uh, larger audiences. So that that's how the money's really made is is pushing people towards the streaming services, still super serving those fans who want to buy physical product, and making sure the band gets out there and plays shows. So. Actually, talking about getting the actual physical product, we've you know, over the last couple of days, I guess the the Striper and Walmart thing has kind of popped up. And of of all people, I guess you're the perfect person to ask. You know, uh, what sure. exact what exactly is going on here? And because at the at the at the um, what is at the crux of the situation? You know, it's just like, oh, was it going to be available at Walmart in the first place? But now they're, I guess, refusing to sell it. And you know, I guess what's going on with the, that situation? Uh, I mean, it's you, you pretty much have a situation where uh, Walmart was going to take in the new Striper album, and then they looked at it and said, "Oh no, we don't. We're not comfortable with that title," and that was the end of it. I mean, that's the long and short <laughs> right. of it. So, and we're like, you know, that's kind of lame because there's a lot of fans out there who. Um, unfortunately, they don't have a great local indie record store by them. Right. Literally, Walmart is the option to travel to. And for whatever reason, they don't want to order online. They don't want to order from Amazon and or, or anybody else. That's their decision and their, their right. Yeah. So it kind of leaves those people out there and try. I mean, obviously, if they really, really want it, there's methods they can undertake to, to get a hold of it. Um, they're not, it's not impossible for them to get it, but it's disappointing that some, for some folks, the ease of getting it was removed. And, um, you know, this is not the first go round the band has had with this, you know, they had the same problem with to hell with the devil because of the album. <laughs> right. So it's just kind of, when I had to call Michael Sweet and, and tell him, Hey, you know, this is going on. I said, sound familiar, you know, and, <laughs> and he knew he's like, you know, the Christian bookstores won't carry it. And it's just the whole, whole thing, you know, and, and they're entitled to, to say that, Hey, we're not comfortable with this, but you know, obviously label and artist we're scratched our, scratched our heads a little bit on it. thought it was, was there ever talk you know, of maybe just taking the title off? I mean, obviously the fans would know it was the, the goddamn evil album, but you know, it wouldn't just be plastered on the album cover. Was there any talk of something like that? I think we talked about maybe for two seconds slapping a sticker over it, but um, you know, then we said, "Forget it." Yeah, it, you know, it's probably. Uh, and we were told actually that that probably wouldn't satisfy the problem anyway. So, I mean, all it takes is those places. You have to think it takes one complaint, one. Yeah. And, and that's it. I, I, uh, uh, Dan Zig, I used to work at a label, uh, that put out a record by Dan Zig. This is in, uh, 2009 or 10. I can't remember the exact year. It was not the one that, um, nuclear blast did, but the one before that, okay. which, um, um, it's like death red save off or something like that. I think it was called, I'm ashamed of myself because I actually am a huge dancing fan and I'm embarrassed I can't remember the name of this album. I think it's Death Red Stay Mother, whatever it was. 
And the inside artwork had uh, nudity, uh, female nudity. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was in, it, the, the album was put in at Walmart. And they got one customer who took it home, uh, opened it, got upset, complained, and that was it. Booted them all out of Jesus. the store. That's insane. Yeah. It is. Well, it's kind of like this, you know, this culture we let. I don't want to get off on a whole the whole thing, but, <laughs> you know, like when uh, you remember when Janet Jackson's uh, boob, quote unquote, accidentally fell out at the Super Bowl right, in yeah. like years War, ago. Wardrobe malfunction, you know? yeah. Yeah, wardrobe malfunction. And then all of a sudden, it's, the SEC's like, oh, my God, we're getting so many complaints. And they came out, they had like 100 phone calls or something like right. that. Some minuscule amount. Like in the grand scheme of the population is, you tell those hundred people to get over it. Oh, you yeah. know, your kid's not scarred for life. They'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll live, you know? Uh, so it's kind of these things like I, I deem overreaction. Oh yeah. You, you know, but I don't want to get into all that. You yeah. Know, we could go again, off. Everybody... <laughs> yeah, I, I have a lot of thoughts yeah. on that too. We'll, we'll leave that alone. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you, you get what I'm driving at. It's just all, to me, it's just all kind of silly and, and overreaction, but you know, when we got the news, we're like, are you, are you, okay, fine. You know, whatever. It, the album we think is still going to have a tremendous response because it's a quality album mm-hmm. and the fan base is going to react really strong to it. And we've even had people uh, that, uh, that don't normally like Striper telling us, hmm, this is actually pretty good. I didn't know these guys had it in them. So, I think that's got a chance to get to an audience that would normally ignore that too. Yeah. I mean, from what I've heard off of it so far from the, uh, I can't think of the, the first single that's out or whatnot, but it's, it's pretty free. It's pretty heavy. It's heavy, some of the heaviest stuff I've heard, obviously out of that camp. Um, you know, as far as I've known, obviously I didn't grow up a, a striper fan. Um, you know, the whole Christian side of it kind of ruined it for me as a kid, obviously, you know, listening to my deicide records, I wasn't uh, switching, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> going right over to the striper albums like some people, but, uh, but yeah, it's uh, you know, I was I was thoroughly impressed with what I've heard so far. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, look, it's not deicide heavy, but they they're they're not. They've really, you know, in the eighties, they had some heavy stuff. I know Ferenc, uh from Dark Throne had. Uh, I think it's the Soldiers Under Command solo. He's he's like that is one of the most badass solos from the eighties. You know, so. Uh, um, there's, they do have, I think, some closet bands in the in the extreme metal world, uh, and it's cool that that Matt from Shadows Fall and Acts of Defiance is on that song, Take It to the Cross, oh, nice. uh, singing on the chorus. You know that 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 the, you know that's a Boston thing. Are all up there in that in that area, but the album is it, it's they've gotten Michael's not interested in doing those syrupy piano ballads that got them on uh you know mtv back in the day he's, he's like you know we don't want to do that stuff anymore but like i want to get he, they're getting heavier yeah. with each success lead so it's it's really refreshing to watch a band like that they're they're rejuvenated really since um since they they've come back and, and uh just doing i mean honestly the best albums of their career and that's me speaking as a fan of the band I was thinking about even back in the nineties when I was paying more attention to how albums were, were being sold. And, and I feel like even back then I thought the stat was something around, if you got your album into like Walmart and Kmart, that was like half of your record sales. Is that, is that sound 
like an actual stat that would be out there. So, I mean, would the, um, you know, the, this Walmart thing kind of be a pretty huge deterrent? Well, there's, uh, yeah, there was a time there in, in the late 90s and into the early 2000s where, yeah, you could move a tremendous amount of product through a Best Buy and a Walmart and a Target. I mean, mm-hmm. tremendous amounts. Um, I'm sure, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you remember, uh, like me, probably going into a Best Buy when they had the huge music section and probably, uh, you know, I I remember one year, the day after Thanksgiving, every CD in the store was five bucks or something like that. And like, I I bought like 30 CDs because it was just, and it was good stuff. I I specifically remember buying like three In Flames albums because there was, it was just, it was like a, a fire sale. You're like, yes, you know, um. But at the same time, that was really, you know, devaluing the music a little bit too, right? You know, um, but it, it, yeah, it used to be it, if if you weren't getting into Best Buy, Circuit City, Walmart, Target, and it was a priority release for your label, it was it was a kiss of death. Mm-hmm. You, you're like, where are all these records going to go? And I think Best Buy stopping selling CDs is probably the best thing that could have happened for the industry is like, let's rip that bandaid off and get on with our lives. And <laughs> we don't, we don't have many records that go in Walmart, to be honest. So we're not terribly reliant on it. So truthfully, at the end of the day, the Walmart thing with Striper was probably feeling like it would have been a nice to have, but we weren't banking on it. Right. But we certainly weren't banking on it not happening because of the reason it did, which we, you know, I think is a little bit silly, but um, you know, if, if you're like, you're not going to get into target unless you're like Taylor Swift. Okay. You, you know, mm-hmm. and you go in these places and it's not a music store. So that's why quitting is a good thing. I think Walmart and target will quit soon or they'll only be for major superstar releases. And this is healthy for the independent music uh, community because this allows them to fill a void because they got hurt when Best Buy was that involved in music. They were getting killed because everybody was given Best Buy exclusive CDs too. Right, right. So you literally had, you had uh, indie, indie retailers would walk into a Best Buy, buy the entire, uh, like buy like 30, 40 CDs from Best Buy for seven ninety nine, then go back and sell them at their own store. It, it, because they like the, why are none of the, none of the labels are giving us exclusives? Because there was so much volume going out of Best Buy, and if Best Buy said, "Well, we don't know if we want to take you in," like we'll give you two extra tracks, you know, because you were just yeah, desperate yeah. to get it in there. It was a horrible situation. Really screwed the Indies over, quite quite honestly, because it was everybody was living in the moment, not thinking long term. The labels were, and but here 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 we are, you know, where it's physical sales are what they are. And now we can get back to the business of uh, record stores actually being record stores. Because Best Buy is not a record store. True. You know? And and I think it's a good thing that we can now tell people, go to recordstoreday.com, plug in your zip code, find your local independent record store, and go shop there. And guess what? If they don't have a record you want, they'll special order it for you. They're super friendly. The, the clerks there are great. <laughs> right. They might even tell you another band you might like that sounds like the band you're buying, <laughs> you, you know, like you can go interact with a 
another music fanatic. It's it's wonderful. So I'm 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 glad this has happened. I think it's healthy. It also helps the uh, bands and labels doing D to C business. You know, selling through their websites. That's that's going to help. It's going to help uh, bands sell at live shows. And then of course, for everybody who wants it super simple, you know, they can go to Amazon. All right, well, speaking of the new Striper album, let's go ahead and uh, let's go and play a track off of this, and this will be out after the the album comes out tomorrow, correct? It does. In real, in, in real it life, does. it comes out tomorrow, so yeah, this will be out after that. So, uh, so pick a track off the new Striper, and we'll we'll throw that right here. Let's play the Valley by Striper.
back with uh, Nick Teeter from Frontiers Music, and uh, we've been talking CD sales. We've been talking music, and uh, you know the one thing about the the you know selling a CD and an, an entire CD, you know, you could definitely sell a CD and just have one good song on there. And I think that's what's opening up iTunes and Spotify and all that stuff. You can go and listen to the one good track. Uh, buy that band and you don't have to to fork over the extra 12 bucks for the rest of the CD that was you know entirely garbage there were so many bands that were putting out albums that the single didn't even sound anything like the rest of the album so you were kind of getting hoodwinked hoodwinked into buying you know 12 songs when necessarily you, you know when you may have only wanted the one song well yeah i mean the industry stopped being good about quality control and thought this party's never going to stop. And then they found out the hard way that, you know, at the, the, the most ridiculous thing any business can do, and it doesn't matter what the business is, mm-hmm. is you is, is to not treat the customer properly. So if you're charging people 20 bucks for a song, essentially, because like we're saying, you know, if there's one good song on the album, that's not cool. <laughs> and of course that's going to give birth to somebody saying, Hey, you know what? I'm going to figure out a way to just have one song. So Napster was a logical reaction to, to doing things the wrong way. You know, somebody found a solution for the consumer and, you know, hindsight always being 2020, you know, instead of suing Napster and doing all that, some, some, some major label should have said, Ooh, we should just buy that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and say, and how do we monetize it? But eventually, you know, they did what they did, and then iTunes came along, and then iTunes had them all had had the entire industry by the scuff of their neck because they established so much control. And now, you know, now now we're on to streaming because that's the the, the downloads are really faint. So, and, and as a music fan, I think streaming's amazing. Uh, you know, yes. I I can sit here and I have. M- practically the entire recorded history of music on my fingertips guys like you and me you know there, there's probably some obscure uh death metal album or thrash metal album <laughs> that's not on there that we're like man why isn't this on apple music or spotify right but <laughs> you can you can there's no way you can't find something to listen to and you know i noticed when we post on frontier social media about apple music or spotify we get a lot of our older fan base saying, well, I just buy CDs. I'm not Spotify rips the artist off and Apple Music rips the artist off because there's that narrative out there about the, what's paid per stream and right. all that. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a misleading narrative because they're, they're not, the, the, the streaming services aren't ripping artists off. You know, they've got to pay the rights the the licensors and the rights holders of the albums, which are the record labels, all these fees to be able to stream the music, and then they send the they send the labels checks, and then that's where the accounting may get funny on its way back to the artist. Truthfully, yeah. so you know there's this false narrative that you if you buy a CD, you're somehow putting eight to ten dollars right in the artist's pocket, and that's not true because it's going to the label. And then it's got to be counted against your market, your recoupable marketing costs. So the only way time you're really putting money directly in an artist's pocket is if you're buying from their website or buying from them at a show. 
And I, you know, obviously encourage people to do that because especially for the young bands out on the road, and if you give them money at that merch table, that, that could be the difference between eating that night or not. So help them out, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, don't think that streaming some great big evil. And if you really love buying CDs and you really love buying vinyl, that's cool. But remember that streaming is a listening station for you. You can go on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, whatever service you prefer, YouTube, and you can hear a whole album and say, yep, I want to spend money on that now because now I know it's good. You can completely avoid that scenario that we were talking about where you buy something and it's only got one good song because you can hear the whole album hassle-free. So I think that that for the the kids get it, younger people get it. I think it's the older folks have to understand. Go ahead and use the streaming services because you are actually helping the bands by the more you're streaming the songs, the more the services they all they look at is data. So there's a reason hip hop and pop rule on those services because mm-hmm. that's what most people are listening to on there. So if we got more rock and metal fans on the streaming services and listening to music on there, then the data will start showing the services that there's a lot of more rock and metal fans on there. And then they'll react accordingly and start pushing it more and getting it more prominent placement because we'll say, hey, we have the data shows that there's a lot of people listening to this stuff and a lot more people might like it if it's put in front of them. How about, would you say that this is a true statement that if you truly loved a band and I think that if you want the band to make the most money off of their latest album and latest tour, you would go and, and join up to Spotify, pay the 15 bucks a month or whatever for the family plan, listen to the album on Spotify, but go to the show, buy a ticket to the show and buy a t-shirt from the t-shirt booth. And that's probably going to make the band more money than you purchasing the CD, going to the show, and not buying something from the from the merch booth, because the profit margins at the merch booth are probably actually way higher than actually you know selling a physical CD. Yeah, I, I would I would imagine it is for for most fans. Certainly, it, it, you're putting more money directly in their pocket than if if you buy a CD from Amazon or or, or wherever. But you know if if you buy a CD from Amazon or a record store, then you're helping the label too. So the label can keep putting these bands out. Right. You know, that it's, it's a whole, there's a whole ecosystem surrounding everything. And I think that's what hard rock and metal fans are so amazing about is supporting the whole ecosystem. They support the labels and they support the bands. And that's, that's kind of how it has to go because these, you know, Frontiers, Relapse, Metal Blade, Nuclear Blast, Earache. These aren't, you know, suits trying to make a buck. These are hardcore music fans just doing it for the passion of it. That's that, you know, no independent hard rock metal label is, you know, somebody thinking they were going to get rich. It's somebody just having a love and passion for the music and wanting to give these artists a home. So it's, there's a lot that can be done. But to me, the main thing is you're supporting if you're listening. If you watch a YouTube video, if you stream an album on Spotify, you buy a CD, you go to show. Because if you're listening to the artist and giving them your valuable time, you're helping. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, I can see that. Yeah. Um, you know, your label is is known for, I mean, I know you have up and coming new artists that you guys are working with, but I mean, when you talk Frontiers, you're thinking the Heritage heritage bands, um, you know, like a Striper, like a LA Guns, even a TNT and Dokken, things like that. Um, where does that, you know, the love of those bands come from? And is that maybe part of the business model of Frontiers is to kind of, you know, if you had a name at some point, then, then uh, you know, maybe we can uh, try to rekindle that flame or something. Maybe that's a terrible way to say it. <laughs> well, no, no, not at all, actually. The guy who owns the label and, you know, myself and and pretty much everyone who works there uh, grew up in a time frame where those bands ruled ruled the earth. And we, we all have a, a great deal of fondness for them. You know, he, Striper was my first concert, my first real concert, you know, not... You know, that's something weird that my parents took me to, but my first <laughs> concert was like, I want to go to this. Uh, L.A. Guns. I love L.A. Guns. You know, I love Whitesnake. Uh, I, I love Dokken. I love TNT. Like, all these bands uh, that you you mentioned are, are, are stuff I grew up on. So when you can see that you're not the only one who still loves those bands and they're still, you have your peers and folks like myself, uh, you know, my daughter is three or almost three rather. And you can be guaranteed. She's getting exposed to Tesla and, and Def Leppard and, and LA guns and Striper and, and Metallica and Megadeth and Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and all this stuff. But, you know, I'm determined to make sure she has a, a, a metal education. And there's been folks uh, who are a little older than you and I, and their kids are teenagers now, and they've grown up being exposed to the music their parents like this, this stuff from the 80s. And now you go go to a concert, and it's mom, dad, and son and daughter all there. It's a family affair to go, come see these bands. And there's a new generation that still likes these bands, as well as their parents that do. So you're dealing with two audiences, really, for the, these bands. It's not just like, Oh, it's you know the retirement homes coming out to see these <laughs> artists play. <laughs> you know, it's, right. it's, it's 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 young people too, uh, w- with their parents, and, and I think you've seen this in their you know the success with Monsters of Rock Cruise at the M3 Festival, and just how Def Leppard, Kiss, and and, and Tesla and, and White Snake and all these bands can go out and do great uh, great touring numbers. It's because there's still an interest in, in, from people to see this music live. And to us, that says, okay, so if these artists still want to create new music, then we want to give them a home to do that and to let people know what's out and to let their, you know, have their fan base be aware that, hey, this band has a new album out. Here, here you go. Here's a way to buy it or listen to it or, 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 you know, here's their tour dates, go see them, you know, do all this stuff. And that's one half of what Frontiers does is let's give these these heritage acts, for lack of a better term, a home and an outlet to to put out their music as long as they're still interested in putting out music. And then the other half is these guys are all going to get sick of touring, maybe get sick of creating music, hopefully not anytime soon, of course, but you know, time stops for no man, and eventually they're they're not going to be creating anymore, and we need that new generation of bands to take over the mantle. 
and this rock is dead stuff is just nonsense. You know, everything's cyclical. Mm-hmm. So at some point, there's going to be the next Guns N' Roses, the next Nirvana, the next whomever that's going to come out and set the world on fire. And a bunch of new bands are going to not suddenly be created, but, oh, yeah, this band's out there, too, and they're going to get their shot. And we want to be involved with those who those bands are. So you played Animal Drive earlier. Like that's a good, that's a great band. We have Inglorious out of the UK. That's a great band. We have Perfect Plan out of Sweden. We have Eclipse and Crazy Licks out of Sweden too. Something in the water in Sweden that I think every other person is a musician and they're a good musician. Right. It's, it's kind of <laughs> mind like you think of all the the great death metal that comes out of there, all the great uh, you, you know extreme metal that comes out of Sweden. It's kind of mind blowing. You know, Amon Amarth and Flames, all that stuff, but. Anyway, uh, th- there's all these young bands doing this stuff, and we want to. We've come up with a campaign. I, I said, let's call them the new breed. You know, meaning the new breed of, of of hard rock and metal. And let's say, you know, hey, rock ain't dead. Let's get these bands out there in the world and let people hear them and enjoy them, because rock fans are are loyal. They don't blow with the wind. They're they're you know, we're, we're planted in the ground. We love rock music. We want more rock music. We want new rock music. And sometimes the party will get a little bigger when there's a band that reaches the mainstream. But there'll always be that core group of people drinking beer and throwing the horns and banging their heads and having a good time and loving this music. And we can survive taking care of each other by putting out these new bands. And then, like I said, every once in a while, some band will break through and the party will get a little bigger and we'll enjoy that ride while it lasts. Yeah, I couldn't say it any better, man. I think that the uh, a lot of these, you know, the heritage acts of the 80s now are coming back out and, and coming through town and playing yeah. the uh, the arenas again. And, you know, they might be packaging up with each other, but they're, they're drawing the crowds again. And I think that uh, you're talking about you're getting a lot of the younger fans, but you're also getting kind of that you know, that demographic that's in their forties and now as, as, has went into the workforce and made some money and now that, you know what, they're going to let loose on a, on a Saturday night and go out to the show again and, and have some disposable income and actually be able to pay for the, uh, the meet and greets and things like that. And so I think that, uh, I think this is a good ample time for, for a lot of these bands kind of coming back around. Yeah. And the packaging up is just, that's just consumer demand. Consumers now say like, Hey, I want bang for my buck. You know, so just you got to give people a good show. That's not really any different from how it was back in the 80s. True, true. I mean, you had to have a kick-ass opener or two when you when you went out on the road. And if, from basically since big arena music touring started, you know, everybody's always trying to put together a big bill. That, it's really nothing new, you know. It's the rare, rare of the band that can say, hey, it's just going to be us. And an evening with right, and, but yeah, you know that's just the demand of the consumer saying, "Hey, you know, I'm 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 grinding nine to five. Uh, when I spend a hundred dollars on a ticket, man, I want three or four good bands because I'm also going to have to pay for beer and food and a T-shirt and all this parking, whatever. You, know, you gotta you gotta give people value. That's 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 a fair request from the consumer." Absolutely. Um, so I'm trying to think of when this is actually going to be out, probably in a week or two. Uh, what, what, what's on the horizon for Frontiers? Um, obviously, we just had the 
the new Striper album come out. The uh, the Doc and Live album from the uh, was it was it what is it Back to the East or something? Uh, Return to the Return East. to the East. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And uh, were you guys were you guys a part of that that Doc and reunion from the beginning, or did they uh, they kind of come to you as they you know hey we're going to go to uh, Japan and do these dates again? You know we should release a live album. I mean, them doing those shows, we had nothing to do with that, but we were there early to say, um, to be involved with wanting to release any documentation of it. Um, we've had, we've had, uh, contact with, uh, every, you know, we've done docking records where it's John with his current incarnation of docking. Mm-hmm. We've done, uh, work with um, George uh, Lynch Mob uh, releases, obviously the Sweet and Lynch stuff, and then we've done um, with Jeff Hilton. He produced the Last Warren album. He produced the first Last in Line record. He's working on the new Last in Line record now. And then Jeff, George, and and Wild Mick are uh, doing an album with Robert Mason from Warren on vocals. Uh, it was announced as being called Superstroke. May not stay that name, but uh, back in December, we went and visited Jeff at a studio, myself and, and two of the guys from headquarters, mm-hmm. and Jeff played us some of the music. And, uh, I mean, like the, the first song we heard, it ended, and Jeff said, what do you think? And I said, that is the most docking rift I've heard George Lynch do since he was in docking. It, it was mind-blowing. <laughs> And then he played another track, and it sounded like Badlands, um, like first uh, uh, Wicked Sensation by Lynch Mob. That like that there was that explosion in the early '90s of really dirty bluesy hard rock, which is like uh, you know Badlands, Tora Tora, Lynch Mob, uh, and all a bunch of uh, River Dogs, a bunch of other bands. It was really really good, and it kind of had that vibe, which is a which is a compliment coming from me. So um, we've had all these feelings with them. But, and yeah, of course, we've asked, uh, do you guys want to do a full reunion? Because that new song was so good, or right. it's so good, rather. So, you know, never say never. We'll see what happens. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, Dawkins a tremendous, tremendous band with a great history. So it's, it's nice to have this live piece coming out for sure. Well, very cool, Nick. Man, I, I I could talk to you for hours, and I feel like uh, when I see you at the uh, at the, at the uh, Rock and Pod Expo in Nashville in August twenty fifth in Nashville, Tennessee, you will be out of that, correct? Yes, sir. I'm definitely going to swing by. I love what uh, Chris and Aaron are doing with that, and I love what I love what you're doing. I, I love what Decibel Geeks doing. I I love the podcast thing is so cool. Yeah, you know, it's it's really the new underground radio for 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 the 21st century and it's a great way for for people to get exposed to, to awesome new music yeah i've definitely said this is like an audio fanzine so <laughs> yeah yeah well hey a lot less glue involved that's good you know? <laughs> a lot less glue and a lot less hours at you know at uh, 2 a.m and at kinko's yeah 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 for sure <laughs> <laughs> well nick man let's uh let's uh finish out here with another uh song off of uh an album on frontiers what would you like to pick so I would love uh, to hear World Gone Mad by Lords of Black, which is a really uh, awesome uh, heavy metal band uh, from from Spain. And the singer Ronnie Romero 
is uh, actually the guy who was selected to be uh, the singer for the new incarnation of Rainbow, Richie Blackmore, handpicked him. Okay. So I don't know what other higher compliment could be paid to that guy's vocal talent <laughs> um, than, than that. Uh, but he, he really is an amazing singer. He actually, uh, there's, there's a DOS thing happening, and he also sounds a lot like... Um, for the folks who are really deep into this stuff, uh, he sounds a lot like Steve, uh, the late Steve Lee from from Gother, um, as well. And he actually did an album with the Gother guitarist called Corleone. Uh, the band's called Corleone, and they they uh, pay tribute to a bunch of early Gother songs. But uh, just a tremendous band. Uh, Tony, the guitar player, is an incredible musician, incredible songwriter, and he just loves. I mean, heavy metal in the, the proper sense of the term, but towards the black is, is for you.
Huge thank you to Nick Teeter of Frontiers Records. Thank you guys for checking out the show. Hopefully I will see you August 25th in Nashville, Tennessee at the Nashville Rock and Pod Expo. I will be moderating the head panel talking about his upcoming documentary. It's going to be fantastic. We will be hanging out with Scott Bowling from Good Company with Bowling. Make sure you're checking him out. Make sure you're saying hello to Rob Rivera out there on tour with Butcher Babies now. They just got to play Rocklahoma. I wish I could have seen that. That would have been amazing. And check out Frontiers Records. I know you guys dig music. I know you guys dig heavy music. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this interview. And uh, he had a lot of insight, man. It was was very cool. I was very, very surprised about his Roadrunner past. You know, when he's talking about obituary and deicide, I'm like, hey, hey, hey. Now you're speaking my language. But once again, thanks to Nick Teeter at Frontiers Records. Make sure you're supporting those guys. Hey, he wants you to hit it up on Spotify. Go check out the show and buy a t-shirt. I don't think he's necessarily pushing the physical product as much as he's pushing the music and however you consume the music, however you consume the music legally. People are getting paid once again. There were many years where people weren't getting paid. So a huge thank you from myself to you guys out there that listen each and every week. They listen all the way to the end like this. And uh, so for the Talk To Me podcast, I am Joshua Toomey, and I will talk to you guys next Thursday. Have a great week, everybody. I love you all. Take care.